0: Hey, welcome to the "Rooted to Live" podcast with Jason Toby. I'm Jason Toby. Have you ever had a situation where you see what someone else has had and think to yourself, "I really want that"? One of the first times I can remember that in my life is being sent to basketball camp as an older elementary age student and. Looking at some of the shoes that the other campers had and thinking to myself, if I only had those, I'd be so much better. And why are my parents keeping me from my professional basketball aspirations? And uh, these were Jordan 3s, I think they were. And um, for some reason, my parents didn't want to spend $125 on their 10-year-old beyond the basketball camp fee and the lunch fees and all those things. Uh, The first time I ever bought a pair of those, I didn't buy them for myself. My wife actually gathered money from family members for my 39th birthday, I think it was, and um, put them on and went out to the hoop and still couldn't dunk and I was still 5'9". But you may be able to relate to seeing what other people have and wanting that. Even, maybe even as a, as a child, seeing other people's bikes or their toys, possessions, their athletic ability, whatever it is. But we grow up into adults that function very similar to how we did as children. Um, you see someone with a brand new truck or some new technology or a home, uh, a better job or a better salary, and you think to yourself, I really want that. There is something in us that when someone else has something we want, we want it. And God knows that we work like this, I think. For those who are followers of Jesus Christ, you actually have something that the rest of the world wants and needs, but they don't even know it until they see it in you. And they might not be able to articulate it what they're seeing. Uh, The world is to see Jesus in us and realize, hey, I want that. I want what those people have. And it's something genuine and something sincere. It's not some kind of problem-free life. There is an evidence of this working, actually, in the past. That people saw what Christ's people had and wanted it. In the Bible, the book of Acts continues the unfolding story of Christ's church. And God was adding to the number daily those who were placing their trust in Jesus. Why? What was it about these Jesus people that others wanted? They were probably pretty ordinary people. If you looked at the kind of people Jesus invited to follow him, specifically the apostles... I mean, he asked fishermen to follow him. Um, These guys weren't necessarily the elite of the elite. He asked a despised tax collector to follow him, Levi, who we believe was Matthew. Um, I mean, these guys weren't necessarily the biggest and the best. Regular folks whom God used to turn the world upside down, as the Bible puts it. The book of Acts records... Uh, us uh, for us about 30 years of ministry of the church from the time jesus ascended to heaven around 33 a.d until 63 a.d and what we see is that from a group of 120 people exploded this movement of life love relationships an amazing unique community so what was it about them that made many around them say i want what you have and, and can you and I experience the same thing by the influence of our lives? In Acts chapter two, verse forty two to forty seven, we read, And they devoted themselves to the Apostles teaching, and the they here as the believers. They devoted themselves to the Apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, a lot of us, especially us pastors, ministers, church planners, um, Denominational leaders, we love that last line, the Lord adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. Maybe for those of you that are more evangelistically inclined, or, and sad to say, those of us are more just numerically inclined, we like more. More is better. And so we look to the preceding context to see, well, what did they do to get those results? But that would also be shortchanging God, who actually has to work in hearts, change hearts. It shortchanges the Holy Spirit, who has to, like, do the miracle of torquing a heart toward him. But we can look at what the believers did and how they functioned. And I'll come back to this in a moment about um, maybe how I've mistreated this passage in the past. But these people were really intentional about a few things. And it's really about relationships. One, about living connected. First, in a relationship with Christ. And of course, second, then with other believers. Look at verse 42 again, or I'll read it for you. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The verb translated devoted is a common verb that gives the idea of a single-minded um, a fidelity to a certain course of action. It's focus. It's, it's being intentional and not something that simply happens. My son Noah is 12 years old and probably for the, the last seven years he's had an intentional focus a dream in his mind and that is that he wants to be a brain surgeon um graduating from duke he wears duke um shirts sometimes and people make an assumption it's because he's a duke basketball fan no he actually is uh a duke medicine fan and um he has this dream. He actually has a plan. He wants to get a scholarship to go to Duke because he's come to realize that it's most likely that his mom and his dad won't necessarily be able to send him uh, there financially. And so uh, he's decided to take up an instrument. He wants to get a scholarship to play an instrument really well. Um, his grandfather, who was a band teacher and his uh, one of his aunts, played an instrument and got a scholarship. And my dad used to say that a high money instrument or a big money instrument can be the French horn. And so Noah started with trumpet and did well enough that the school uh, this year transitioned into French horn. And so he's trying to work his plan to get a scholarship to go to Duke, to then go to Duke Medical School eventually and become a brain surgeon. He is intentional right now. And he strives. When we see that these people devoted themselves to things, it's not that they were a people of good intentions. A lot of us have good intentions. Yeah, I'll call you back. Or yeah, I'll be praying for you. Or yeah, I'd love to get together with you sometime. It isn't being a person of good intention. It's being intentional in action. It's focused effort. And for the Jesus followers in Acts chapter 2, they were intentional first about their relationship with Christ. Well, how do we know that? The text says that they devoted themselves, they were intentional, about what first the apostles' teaching. And so what do you suppose the apostles taught them about? Well, the apostle John tells us what the apostles proclaimed. In First John chapter one, verse three, we read, "That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ." The apostles talked about Jesus. They had been with him. They'd seen him. They heard him. They were with him and, and people wanted to know what it was like to be with Jesus. And many of these people knew the scriptures. They had portions of the Old Testament memorized. But they wanted, but what they wanted was not more information. They, they wanted to know Jesus. They, they were being intentional about their relationship with Christ through the apostles' teaching. And if you and I are honest isn't it easy to get distracted distracted in our intentionality, distracted in our focus toward our relationship with Jesus, knowing him and making him known. See, our intentionality toward work, money, technology and hobbies, they actually all have their place, but sometimes we allow them to take the place of Jesus, don't we? Paul actually warned Christians about this long ago in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3 when he writes but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. It's not that we probably turn our backs on Christ. It's, it's much more subtle. We get busy with life and we become far less intentional. We try to feed our spirit with that which can never satisfy. and We end up slowly starving ourselves spiritually from that which really fills us up. Time with him. Aren't there refreshing springs of encouragement to be found and understanding in God's word? Have you ever experienced the nourishment from contemplating his character as expressed through Jesus toward you? Why miss out? Could you use the peace of God's Spirit that comes from casting your cares to him because he cares for you? I invite you to get intentional. The early church seemed to be, and it didn't just end in having relationship with Jesus. Because how would a wanting world want what we have if it's just a personal one-on-one relationship with Jesus that's hidden or private? By God's design, your relationship with him is to be lived out then with other people. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, we read, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Jesus told us that the world will know we are his disciples by our love for one another. Love is not expressed in an isolation, it's expressed in relationships. And that is what this early ch- church did so well. They were not only intentional about their relationship with Christ, but also about their relationships with each other. Back to the verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves not only to the apostles' teaching, but to the fellowship. The definite article, the, here means there was something that distinguished this fellowship. The first time I ever heard the word fellowship that I can remember was the church I grew up in between the ages of 2 and 10. Fellowship was a a once-a-month hangout in the church basement that happened after the evening service. It was a picnic-style spread, carrot sticks, celery sticks, finger-style sandwiches with way, way, way too much mayonnaise on it. I might need to do a podcast about the kryptonite of mayonnaise. But that was fellowship for us. A chance to hang out longer with church friends after the church service. In Acts chapter 2, the fellowship was not just general fellowship like cookies and punch after an evening church service. There was a distinguishable fellowship. So what distinguished it? Their love for each other. See, we were designed not just for a relationship with God, but to have a relationship with each other. So it's believers who love Jesus because he loved us, then loving one another because he loved us, and loving one another because we love one another. That's what makes us distinguished. Relationships are what you and what you see described throughout the rest of this Acts passage. And, and it is why these people were so attracted to the rest of the world because they saw what they had and said, I want that. You have a need for relationship with God. That is true. But that relationship with God is expressed in a relationship with other people. Both are necessary. And you may see, you could evaluate yourself or your friends or people around you. Not condemn them or judge them, but just evaluate, have some intuition. You can see people that are really Godward and have no interest in the people around them. And people that are so outwardly focused, but no connection with God. There's no power. People are not supposed to be alone. We're, We're made to live in relationships with each other. First with God and then with others. That's why solitary confinement is a punishment at all. I remember as a child, one of the disciplines my parents would use with me was being sent to my room. It was a good one for me because it used to drive me nuts. I mean, how many times can I shoot on my Nerf hoop? How many times can I set up my GI Joes? And how many times can I play with my Legos? Maybe once for me. No one wants to be alone. And even when they are alone, no one wants to admit that they are alone because for some reason it seems wrong. I mean, sometimes we get refilled and refueled by being alone and breaking away. We see that Jesus did that. But to have a life of perpetual aloneness, that's not what God intends. And yet we're so busy. We have uh, so many friends and social media platforms, a bunch of coworkers, people we see at church. But with all these people around, we still feel lonely because we lack intentional friendships with other people who will choose to love well and who will love us well. The early church was not casual about Christ-centered relationships. Grace and truth, they had both. They were not casual about spiritual accountability. They had tough talks. They were not casual about caring and praying for each other. These people turned the world upside down because they did those things. And it's recorded that more and more people were added to the groups, to to the homes, to, to the fellowship. And then it went from adding to multiplying, you can read later on in the book of Acts. More and more people continue to join in on their relationships. So let me be honest, Acts 2.42 is a passage that pastors like me like to go to to express some ideals of how the church, how Christians should function uh, for the ministry programs that we create. And we can preach it in a way that presents a false guilt rather than a true conviction. By that I mean condemnation and tearing down. But... There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ, so I don't want to do that today. What what I want to invite you toward is just to two things from the one verse we consider today. Here they are again. One, you're invited to intentionally grow in knowing Jesus and making him known. Please do that any way necessary that's good for you, that works for you. 5 a.m. in the morning for an hour, throughout the day, praying without ceasing, connecting to him and his word through, through a song, through prayer. You're invited. Secondly, you're also invited to intentionally grow in relationships with other believers. Give time. Find someone to pray with. Encourage. Write a word of encouragement to someone, please. Have a meal with someone. Thanking Jesus for his body and his blood as you do so. Listen to someone. Share. Build up. Grace and truth. Serve. And I think what will happen as you continue to do that is other people will want what you got. And when asked what you have, you simply say, I've got Jesus.